Okay, great. Well, welcome everybody. Let us pray. Almighty God, you chose your servant Matthias to be numbered among the twelve. Grant that your church, ever preserved from false teachers, may be taught and guided by faithful and true pastors. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Yeah, happy St. Matthias Day. People kind of forget about St. Matthias. Uh, but, you know, he was the replacement apostle uh, because, of course, Judas was... So they have to find another, because you have to have 12 apostles. Why do you have to have 12 apostles? 12 tribes of Israel, right. And uh, so they can't have 11. So then they choose from among the disciples, because if you were in midweek, you know this. If you weren't in midweek, you're going to. All apostles are disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. So there's the 12, and then there's the 70, which also follow Jesus around too. Jesus has a bunch of groupies. <laughs> it's good to be a groupie for Jesus, though. That's the best kind of groupie there is. So anyway, Matthias is the one they choose. Do you remember how they choose Matthias? They drew lots. Yeah, they wrote down the names, and they put them in a hat, and they shook the hat up, and then they pulled one out, and they said, this is the will of the Lord. Matthias. And then the bigger question is, how many apostles do they end up having in total? I mean active, no, I'm not talking about Judas. 13, yes. So anybody who tells you 13 is an unlucky number never read the Bible. Why 13? Why 13? I heard you say it. You just said it. The apostle to the Gentiles, right, 12 for the Israel, and then the 13th is, hey, but we're also for the Gentiles too, 13 for the Gentiles. And who is that 13th apostle? Paul, that's right. Good, 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 good. All right, any questions about confession and absolution in toto? Because we're done with confession and absolution as of last week, so if you have questions. Now is the time before we move on to something else. Did you have a question? Okay, that's just, this is just how you sit when you're relaxed. <laughs> yes. So I guess I'm just trying to, in my mind, yeah. uh, so like, okay, no better than not ask for forgiveness. Sure. Say my prayers. Yes. So if you're doing, if you're doing that, is that there's still a need to go to confession, but in my mind, I'm just trying to understand if, if you're asking for forgiveness every night before you go to bed for your sins that day, why necessarily do you need to go to confession? Right. If and Jesus, ah, oh, good questions. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, paraphrase you for the sake of levity. Uh, if you know that Jesus forgives your sins, why bother going to confession at all? That's a good question. And, and here's the answer. Because Jesus has told you, yeah, I will forgive your sins, but there's always a time and a place and a, and a way that that happens. So 
when, we, when it's just a group of people praying together, like I think we looked at Compline, and you talk to each other, brothers, I've sinned against you, blah, blah. We do that at the end of midweek when we're not in a, you know, when we don't have midweek services, but when we actually pray at the end of class, that's how we start. We all tell each other, hey, we weren't the best to each other. And then we say to each other, well, you know, but Jesus has forgiven our sins by dying for us. But that's different than, than going to Jesus and saying, will you please forgive my sins? If Jesus says, I will always forgive your sins anytime you come to me. But then the question is, where do you come to Jesus? Where is Jesus going to be for you to f have your sins forgiven? And the answer is, in the office of the ministry. So that's the main thing, is it's, it's like uh, anything in the church. Now, God can be everywhere. God is everywhere, right? But is he everywhere for you? No. It's like if you're thirsty and you want a drink of water. Is there water in the air around you? Well, the scientist says yes. But do you walk around getting a drink with your mouth open and your tongue hanging out like a dog? going, I'm quenching my thirst, don't mind me. No, you go to the place where the water is in a way that is for you to take. And that's what the church is. So we talk about things like means of grace. The big word there is the mean, means. So what is the office of the ministry? It is a means. What is the water in baptism? It is that physical means. Jesus attaches himself spiritually to something physical. So when you come to confession, you're going to where Jesus told you that he will be found, where he will listen to your sins, and where he will tell you with his own voice and touching you with his own hands that your sins are forgiven. Because when you go to bed at night and you say, forgive me my sins, you go to bed trusting that the Lord has done it. And this is sort of the second thing. But you don't hear Jesus say, I forgive your sins, now sleep in peace. But when you come to church, Jesus actually says those words. Hey, I'm Jesus, and you confess to me, Kevin, and now your sins are forgiven. I did it. So then the, then the second thing is you can't escape. Because it's really easy to pray, oh, forgive me my sins, but you never hear anything, and you don't really feel anything. You just do it. And it's really easy to walk away from that thinking, oh, it wasn't for me, or nothing really happened. Uh, same with coming to church. We confess before the service, but it's really easy when pastor looks at 100 people to think, maybe he, you know, he, didn't, he didn't look into my eyes today. Maybe it wasn't for me. Now, I try to look around, but it's hard to look at everybody. Okay? So uh, you can't escape when you actually come to Confession and absolution. Your name is the name that is spoken. That happens uh, also on Ash Wednesday and Maundy Thursday when you come. Everybody confesses their sins together, but then everyone comes up individually and pastor says your name, makes a sign of the cross on you, forgives your sins. You can't run away from that. Jesus looked at you. He touched you. He said your name. There's no other, what's your middle name? Michael. Michael. There's no other Kevin Michael in that congregation. You're the only one. So when Jesus says to you, Kevin, Michael, I forgive you all your sins, you, there is no way that you can say, maybe he didn't mean it. So those are the reasons why. Um, the sort of the pithy way that I put it is, particularly troublesome sins 
require particularly acute absolution. We can't be general. We have to pound the absolution into you. You have to know for sure and certain that Jesus actually does forgive your sins and that he actually has done it, and that is where it happens. And that's how you know, because he tells you with his own voice in his office. Does that answer your first question? It does. Okay, then the second, quest, or the second question, how often should I go? I love the question because it's not the right kind of a question, but you don't, I mean, you don't know that. And, and here's why, and we're going to talk more about this kind of a thing today, actually. There's a difference between the law and between the gospel. And if you say things like, how often must I, how often should I, how often do I have to, then it's a question of the law, and, and, and it's a requirement. I'm only doing it to fulfill a re this requirement, to check the box, you know. Uh, and that's not actually the way that the Christian lives. The Christian lives according to the gospel, which means that everything is about we, what we get to do. The best and most comedic example that I can give you is, to, you know, how often sh do I have to go to confession? I don't know. How often do you have to tell your wife you love her? And do you see the difference? How often do I have to tell her that I love her? Isn't one time enough? I married her. Doesn't she already know I think she's pretty? Why do I have to keep telling her? Because you're, th it's, it, you're thinking of it in terms of requirements, but it's never been about requirements. It's always, a, it's always something that you get to do. So, you know, a better question is maybe how often should I? And the answer to that is how of however often you think you need it. There's, there's no set thing where we say, you absolutely must do it this many number of times. You know, back in the day when nobody ever did it, the Lutheran said, okay, okay. Same with the Eucharist, by the way. Way back when, they said, all right, all right, all right, all right. You guys are getting a little too free. You've been so free that you're actually not coming at all. And you think that you're so free in the gospel, you don't need this stuff anymore. Now, that's actually a problem on the other side. You do need it, and you should have it. So... You have to have it at least once a quarter. Uh, and if you don't have it once a quarter, well, then you're, you're really not a Christian. That's in, like, that's in the confessions, but that's the bare minimum. Uh, the gospel frees us from the bare minimum, and the gospel is always something of excess. So you could confess every day if you felt like that's what you really needed and like you really wanted, and you want to know something. If you asked your pastor, you called him every day and said, hey, listen, this is bothering me again. Can I come and confess? I don't get to say no. I have to say yes, because that's my job is to do that for you. So how often, how often do you wake up in the night and there's something that bothers you? I just had a, you know, this weirdest thing. I just talked about this with Carolyn this morning because she was, she was cleaning some of the dishes from making the giant cinnamon roll. And, and she just stopped and turned off the water and went, oh, and I said, what's the matter? Because I thought, you know, something in the kitchen, what can I do to help? Did, did something spill? I'll clean it up. And she said, uh, such a, that was such a man response to, what's the problem? I'll fix it. <laughs> and, but anyway, she said, oh, I just thought of something that I did in high school that I'm still ashamed about. Oh my. See, some, sometimes things just come back to bite you. I said, you know, Sometimes I get that too. When I was in the youth orchestra, we had a brass choir concert and everybody, there was this really, he was, we thought he was really annoying. I'm an adult now and this is a live mic, so I don't want to say, man, that guy was such a, you know, just such an annoying idiot. But we all thought he was sort of an obnoxious idiot at the time because we were dumb kids and dumb kids don't know anything. 
And that's you too. And, uh, and uh, you know, so everybody emptied out their instrument on his folder in the back. Oh my. And I did it too. And, I, and this is like St. Augustine stealing pears. You look back and you say, I don't know why I did that. I didn't really think he was as bad as everyone else did. They all went to school with him, but I didn't go to school with him. So I, I don't, why did I do that? And then you imagine, well, what did he think when he came off stage and his folder was all wet because everybody emptied their instruments? What a horrible thing. And you know, every, every now and then I'll wake up and that'll be the first thing that I think of is, remember back in high school when you emptied out your instrument on Tim Rockwell's folder? Man. Okay, so sometimes stuff just bites you. And you, you know, way back when, when we started talking about confession and absolution, we talked about memory, and memory can be a, a good thing when you remember your sin and remember what it did to other people and to you, and then you say, that was so horrible, I, I never want to do that again, and then you stay away from it. That's the good kind of memory. The bad kind of memory is when the devil keeps coming back and saying, oh, but remember when you did that? Well, you shouldn't have done that. And that's the point where you... You fight by either saying, the Lord has forgiven me, I'm not going to think about this anymore, or you go to church and have Jesus tell you, I already, I'm going to undo that for you. you. If it's really bothering you, give it to me, I'll undo it. You give me your problems, they don't exist anymore. And then you can go tell the devil to go to hell. So how often, how often uh, do you get to go to confession? Anytime you want. I, I am always available for confession before Bible class on Sunday mornings. I, I have a set time from 8.30 to 9 where I just sit in the sanctuary. There's even a sign on the door that says, quiet, don't enter, peek around the corner. If there's somebody in here, wait outside, uh, you know, because people come to confess, but I do it by appointment too. So anytime you, anytime you really feel like there's something burdening you, go to confession. And I promise you, when you leave confession, you'll feel lighter than when you went in. Everybody says that. That's just... There's, there's, there's that physical component to sin. It, it really does have a, a burden to you. So go whenever you want to, whenever you feel like you need to, whenever you think that it would be helpful for you, or whenever you just want to hear Jesus tell you, I think you're a good bear, don't worry. All right? All right. Is that, does that satisfy you? Yes, it does. Okay, anything else? No. All right, anything else from anybody else? All right, on... Onward we go. So now what we need to do is, if you, if you think of our road map of the liturgy, we did the introduction, that's confession and absolution, which includes everything about the name, about baptism, about confessing our sins, and now we're into the real, now we're just starting real church, <laughs> which is the service of the word, yeah. So we divide we divide the service up into two parts. There's service of the word and service of the sacrament. sacrament. This is why I have a problem with TLH. Uh, you know, here we go. We're entering into sacrilegious territory because you can't say anything bad about the old red hymnal. Some of you don't know that rule. Some of you do. <laughs> okay. But here's one of the problems with the TLH, and that is they had a setting of the liturgy for if you were going to have communion, and then they had the same setting, but if you weren't going to have communion. So then if you weren't going to have communion, you, have, you do everything like you would normally do it, but then it just cuts off communion. But that's a problem because everything in the entire liturgy is designed to point you to communion. So when you pull communion out of it, what it's actually doing is like getting married, going to your hotel room after the whole party, happy on the wine, rosy-cheeked, in love, 
and then sharing a good firm handshake and sleeping in twin beds. Like, I mean, come on, what's the point? <laughs> you know, right? So, uh, so everything in the liturgy funnels you to the Eucharist. That's the crown jewel of it all. So the service of the word, and we'll talk about this when we talk about the Eucharist, but the service of the word is telling you about the word and uh, giving you the word in spirit, in a sense, which I will talk more about in just a second. And then when you move beyond that into the service of the sacrament, then all of a sudden it's everything that's been about the word in spirit now gets you to the point where you say, oh man, I really wish that the word wasn't just spirit because I really would like to have that. And then he says, surprise, I actually am going to give myself to you. And you say, yay, it's like Oprah, for you and for you and for you. Okay, and then you get to come on down and you, and you get it. Okay, so uh, the service of the word, now that's where we are. But if we're going to talk about the service of the word, the word, all this stuff about the word, uh, we need to define what the word is. And there's a problem with many times how we use that word, the word word, and, and here's what it is. When we say word, what do you think of? I'm not fishing for the right answer. I'm fishing for what do you think of when we say word? If I stand up and say, this is the word of the Lord, what, what, do you, what does it sound like I am talking about? What he's told us to do. Sure, what he's told us to do. Where has he told us to do it? The Bible. We say the word, and the first thing that you think of is this, which is okay. This this is the word of the Lord. I mean, we say that in church so that you don't get confused because if it's going to be the word of anybody else, why bother showing up? Nobody wants to come to church to hear the word of Samuel or Memphis or Pastor Ferguson. There, you have better things to do with your time than that. But if it's the word of the Lord, though, now we're talking about something else. But you have to think a little bit differently because the word is not primarily the things that are written down in the page with ink and then bound that then we use our eyes and our mouths to read from. The word is a person. And when you start to realize that the word is a person, not a thing, the, the, the entire liturgy begins to change. The service of the word is not about just something written on a piece of paper. It's about the actual person of the word, who is Jesus. And then the service of the sacrament becomes the service of the word that is Jesus made flesh. So that the entire liturgy is about Jesus and that's part of why it always funnels you to where you can actually find Jesus and touch him and hold him and see him and taste him and smell him because that's what you want. That's what you need is Jesus. You, nobody ever said, oh, that's too much Jesus. You always want more. Jesus always leaves you wanting more, which is good. So the word is person. It's not just text on a page. It is a person. It's living, breathing. It's the person of Christ. The word is who God is and what God says, and the word does what God says. 
So in the beginning, God creates by, by the word. He says, I want some light. And because he says it, it happens. When Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you, it happens because of the word. This is a great one at the Annunciation. There's always the question of, well, when does Mary conceive? The angel Gabriel shows up, but when does, when does Mary actually conceive the child? That's how, but when? You're right, she conceives by the word, but when? The angel says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will conceive. When? Right there and then, right. And now here's the follow-up question, which you already answered, so I'll give it back to you. By the, by the word, okay. When does it happen? Immediately. How? By the word. So that she conceives by the ear. The word goes in and then bears fruit within her. So when the, when the angel says, speaks the word of the Lord, it's not just that the angel is speaking forth a thing, like a messenger speaking, this is what somebody said. When you speak the word of the Lord, it, you're also speaking forth the person of Jesus. That is so important. It sounds weird, I know, but I'm gonna give you a way to think about it, okay? Uh, and, and here's what it is. When it's time for the gospel reading, why do you stand up? For what? For the word. What word? For, for Jesus. For Jesus, right. Because what's the difference between the gospel and the Old Testament and the epistle? They're all the word of the Lord. So we're not going you know, to mess around with that. But what's the big difference between them? He hasn't been born yet. Well... Yeah, yeah, now that's, that's really on the right track. The, the problem with he hasn't been born yet is maybe not in time, but according to spirit, he is eternally, you know, he's the eternal Christ. Mm -hmm. Like in the Old Testament, when, when Adam and Eve sin, and you know, then he comes and he clothes them with skin. Where do you get skin? From an animal? What do you have to do to get the skin from an animal? You have to kill it. And how do you kill it if you don't have hands? So how does God kill an animal? Well, he has to have a body. He has to have hands. He has to actually do it. And when they look at the Lord, how do they know that he is the Lord? Well, because he's got nail prints in his hands already. I think we talked about this one other time because I, I showed a picture in Bible class and it was the baby inside of Mary's womb, but the baby had nail prints on his hands. So, you know, did Jesus really have nail marks in his hands in Mary's womb? Well, well, no. But there is the spiritual reality that Jesus Christ is eternally crucified. When Abraham entertains the Lord and the angels, how does he know which one is the Lord? Well, by the way he looks. How does he, what does he look like? Well, he goes to speak a word of peace and he sees right through the hole in his hand. <gasps> Ooh. You know, the, the Old Testament is all full of these allusions to we know what's going to happen, but it hasn't actually happened yet, but we know because we've seen it. Like uh, also Jacob's Ladder, this is a great revelation, so get ready, buckle up for this one. And, uh, you know, if you've already heard it, well, you know, you know, the ride's not as fun for you, but 
the word, I don't know the Hebrew, uh, I didn't look it up because I'm a Greek man, so I read the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, because that's the Bible Jesus used, and I'm not joking, that is actually the Bible Jesus used. The, the word for ladder, so you know, he lies down and he has the vision of the ladder that reaches up to heaven with angels ascending and descending. Well, the word there is, is actually a word for one pole that goes like this with a crossbeam that they hang people on to kill them. Now, wait a minute. What does that sound like? It sounds an awful lot like a cross. So he sees the Son of Man in a vision on a ladder. It's really a cross that reaches from earth to heaven because the cross of Christ is the bridge that spans the chasm between earth and heaven. And the angels ascend and descend upon the cross. Why? Because they collect the blood. They collect the body and the blood. So he already sees what's going to happen, even though it hasn't happened yet. So why do we stand? Because wherever the word, because the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record the actual words and deeds of Jesus. So the snarky answer is, why do we stand? Because those words are written in red. The Old Testament and the Epistle aren't written in red. <laughs> you know, some people say, well, the only words of the Bible that were inspired were the words that were written in red. And you say, well, you know, okay, some editor put those in red. Jesus didn't write them in red. But there is some merit in saying, why do we stand? Because they're read, only in the sense that they're the words and deeds of Jesus. And that matters why, because wherever the words and deeds of Jesus are, there Jesus is. So that we rise because Jesus is actually speaking and doing things. People say, oh, I don't know, I've never seen Jesus do a miracle before. What's the matter with you? Are you blind? You've seen him heal a blind man a thousand times because every time we read the gospel, it's happening. He's actually doing the thing. It's not looking back at what he did. It's looking now at what he does. That's why in the sermon, if you pay really close attention, none of this is by accident. I don't use past tense language. It's always present tense. Jesus walks down the road and heals a blind man, and the disciples are asking. It's always that present tense because it's something that is ongoing. It's happening because the Word is a person, Jesus. So where the Word of God is, there God is himself because the Word is God and the Word is the words of God. Now, isn't that fun? Changes everything about church. And next week, I'll show you a little bit about the difference between the different kinds of word that we look at. So there's a structure to what the service of the word incorporates. But the rhythm then is um, that we receive. Okay, That's always when you come to church, what are you coming there to do? You're coming there primarily, first and foremost, to receive. Divine service, that's why we call it that. In the, in the German, it was Gottesdienst or the Hauptgottesdienst. Because you go there so that God can take care of you. God serves you. It is the divine service. You're coming into God's house. You are a guest. I mean, you're a child, so you're not really a guest. But he wants to take care of you. And he's there. How do you know he's there? Well, because the candles are lit. He's on the altar. Because he's standing in front of you and he talks to you. Why do you bow before you go up into the chancel? Because that's Jesus' bedroom. 
And you never say, you never go in or leave without saying hello and goodbye. Because Jesus is there. Not just in a figurative sense. Okay, so that's why we say this is the word of the Lord. Because you're saying, the Lord spoke this, I didn't speak this. And the Lord spoke this when I was reading it to you. Because I'm not reading, the Lord is speaking. And then if the Lord is speaking, what is your job? But you didn't realize this, but when you come to church, you actually have a job. No. This is a trick answer, me saying no to you. Because I'm a, I'm a nitpick about the vocabulary we use. Not listen, but hear. Hear. Hearing is passive. Receiving is passive. You are nothing if not given to. The Lord does it all and you receive it. It's like when you go to somebody's house and you say, well, at least let me help with the dishes. And they say, sit down, don't do anything. We'll take care of you. I'll bring your food to you. I'll refill your cup. I'll take away the dirty dishes. You just sit and enjoy it. And don't feel guilty about the fact that I'm doing all the work. Just love it because this is how I love you. Okay. Um, so you hear. You hear. This is why I don't really care if all of the readings make it into the bulletin or not. If you notice, if, you're, if you look at them, sometimes they just cut off. I don't worry about trying to put them on a second page because it doesn't matter. If you really want to read what it says, go home and grab your Bible and, and read, you know, finish the reading then. But when you're right there in church, the Lord gives the command in Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, I will speak, you will hear. What's the difference between listening and hearing? This is really good. Okay, so the difference between listening and hearing is one of active versus passive. Listening is active, passive is, or uh, listening is active, hearing is passive. If you're listening, you're going like this, with your ear to the keyhole. You're, you are doing the work. If you are hearing, what is happening is doing the work on you. I'm not necessarily trying to listen, but I am hearing. Okay? So when your upstairs neighbors are having an argument, it's not like you're there with your tape recorder. Oh yeah, I gotta, 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 gotta get this one down. This is a good one. It's that you're just trying to do your own business, but it's working on you. It's, it's hitting you. It's the, the, the words are touching you. Okay? That's the difference. You're reaching out for the word versus you sitting and letting the word hit you. So we hear. Um, now, when we, in the, in the Lutheran Church, one of the things that we talk about is sola scriptura. And so there is really kind of a need to, to explain what that means, because it doesn't mean what you think that it means. And what you think that it means is the Bible only. And that is not what it means. Um, so here is a difference between the Lutheran Church and some of our other evangelical brothers and sisters. Uh, sola Scriptura is what we believe. They say that they believe Sola Scriptura as well, but we practice it differently. And, and the, way, the, the reason is because they actually practice something called Scriptura Nuda, the naked scripture, or really, uh, less literally, nothing but the Bible. The only thing we read is the Bible. The only thing we care about is the Bible. And that's not the way the Lutherans are. Sola Scriptura means that the Bible is the chief out of everything that we have. 
that if there's ever a question about what's right or what's wrong, the Bible is the one to make the final judgment. That in our list of things that are important to read, the Bible always wins, always comes in first place. If there's ever uh, a fight about doctrine, the trump card is always Bible, nothing else. But we also have a lot of other important things that we read, like the Apocrypha, which most Lutherans don't realize. But here's something really fun. Uh, come to church on Wednesday and you'll hear a reading from the Apocrypha, from an addition to Esther. Come to church at the Easter Vigil, which the majority of you will be, and you'll hear some readings from the Apocrypha because they're important books, but they aren't top of the food chain, shall we say. So I wrote a newsletter article. I tried to find it and, and somehow I erased what I had written. So I don't, I've, I'm going to have to try and recreate it. But um, it was about books that are not the Bible that every Christian still should read. Canon versus scripture. It's a big circle, the Christian canon. Every book we think is important that every Christian should read and a small circle inside of that that is scripture, the, the actual word of God that trumps everything else. So that's, that's the difference. Um, now, when we talk about scripture, Lutherans have a way of talking about it. I already sort of hinted at it and told you we were going to talk about it a little more. That is, there's two things in the scripture. There's the what and the what. Do you remember? The law and gospel. Mm -hmm. The law and the gospel. Why do we have the law and the gospel? Well, because... Uh, the word is Jesus, Jesus is the word, and because the, the words of Jesus always point back to Jesus, and because the spirit who delivers the words, because that's what you have to remember. How do you speak a word if you don't have air to breathe? The spirit is the breath that delivers the word. Spirit and word are always like this, always together. So because the Spirit always points you back to Jesus by giving you the words of Jesus and by delivering to you the person of the word who is Jesus, uh, that means that because we live in a sinful world, sometimes Jesus need to, needs to tell you something that's good for you to hear and comforting, and sometimes Jesus needs to chastise you a little bit to get you to stop doing something that you shouldn't be doing. So there's law and gospel. Uh, now, from the, this is the Apology to the Augsburg Confession. This is one of the documents of the Lutheran Church that say this is what we think. It's in our Lutheran Confessions, the big book. All scripture should be divided into these two chief doctrines, the law and the promises or the gospel. Two chief doctrines, not two chief parts. That matters. Because we're not going to look at the Bible and say, oh, this part is law and this part is gospel. We're only ever going to look at the Bible and say, this is the word of the Lord. Because it's all about Jesus and Jesus gave it to us and Jesus is the word. Uh, so they're not parts and they don't exist separately. They are together. So the, the way that we need to do this is first we need to look at Hebrews 4. And because we have still more to talk about, can somebody look this up in Hebrews 4? Hebrews 4, 12 to 16. Who's going to do that for me? Somebody. Okay. 
Uh, no, I want whoever speaks the loudest and the fastest. So that's you, Sue. And then I need somebody else to look up Revelation 1. Memphis. Oh, sorry, Sam. You're in my, you're in my peripheral. Uh, so uh, Revelation 1, 12 to 16. So I just need those two. And what was the verse for Hebrews? 12 to 16. Oh, they're both 12 to 16. <gasps> Hebrews 4, 12 to 16. Revelation 1, 12 to 16. Ooh, I hope that's right. and Not a mistake. So let's do Hebrews. Revelation 1, 12 to 16, Hebrews 4, 12 to 16. Okay. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Okay, actually, we, for the interest of time, we can actually stop there because the point has been made. So what does it say? This is right back at the beginning, verse 12. What does it say the Word of God is? Living and active. And? Than any double-edged sword. Yeah, double-edged sword. Ooh. Keep that. Pin that up in your mind for a minute. Let's jump to Revelation. All right, Memphis, what do you got? Revelation 1, 12 to 16. This will read all of these. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke Yeah, just a piece of trivia. Who's I? Then I turned. Who's, who's I? John. John, yeah, that's right. The apostle. Yeah, who is the son of man? This is important for you to know. Who's the son of man? Jesus. Jesus is the son of man. Right, so, so we're talking about Jesus here, okay? All right, keep going, Memphis 14. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined, refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance? Countenance. Countenance? Yeah. Was like the sun shining in its strength. Yeah, his countenance is like what he is like. When you look at him, what he seems like, what he, what he looks like. So, so if I, I don't know, eh, we'll skip the example. There's more important things to do. Okay, so what does he have in his mouth? <coughs> A two-edged sword. This is really important. So who is Jesus? This is, you know, going back to the very beginning here. Who is Jesus? What is Jesus? He is the I mean, to the beginning of class, not the beginning of Revelation. Jesus is the, the Word. Jesus is the Word. The Word is a person, not a thing. The Word is Jesus. John 1, the Word was with God and the Word was God. Okay, Jesus is the Word, but the Word also then has stuff that comes out of his mouth because he can talk 
And what comes out of your mouth when you talk? Words. Words. And so we have right here the words of the Lord that are all about the word of the Lord, who is the person of Jesus, because everything in the Bible is about Jesus, because everything in the Bible is about death and resurrection. Remember that? Only one story, death and resurrection. It's all Jesus. And when he speaks the words, the words, the words, what is it, A? Just from what you read. What's in his mouth? Yeah, and we know that that's, what, that, that that's the word because Hebrews says the word of God is like a double-edged sword. And then you have the word of God who speaks forth the words and the words are a sword. What's important about a double-edged sword? Cuts both, ways. Cuts both ways, yeah. It's not like a butter knife that only goes one way or a katana. You know, you have to wield that a certain way. It only goes one way. This is one of those you can put it in and you can just go this way or you can go that way. You go whatever way you want to go like a Viking sword, okay? It, it cuts both ways. It, it goes whatever way that it's needed. If it needs to cut this way, it'll go that way. If it needs to go this way, it'll go that way. It's, it's law and gospel. If it needs to tell you, hey, shape up, it'll do it. If it needs to say, hey, you're doing pretty well, then it will do it. So that's the word, but it's still the same sword. It's still the one thing. So law and gospel are not separate and they're not opposed to each other. They're the same thing. Law and gospel, it's all the word. Why two things? Well, let's talk about that. If you go to the Grand Canyon, how many of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon? Okay. Ooh, maybe we need to take a catechumenate road trip. I've actually never been there. I only know this uh, from hearing from other people. So if you go to the Grand Canyon, I have been told there is like a yellow line and a sign or something that says, do not take photos behind line. So then the question is, do not take photos beyond, be, behind the line. Is that law or is that gospel? Do not take photos behind the line. Yeah, you're stealing my punchline. It's a trick. So by the way, if you haven't already heard this in Bible class a million times, anytime a pastor says to you, is this law or is this gospel? It's a trick. Don't ever answer. It's always a trick. Because it's a false dichotomy. You should never have to say, you should never have to make the choice, oh, this is law and this is gospel, because then you've separated them. Then it's parts, not doctrines. You see the difference there? So when the, when, when the sign says, don't take photos behind this line, it depends on what side of the line you're on, whether it's going to be law or gospel. If you're not behind the line and you see the sign and it says, don't go behind this line, it's actually gospel because it's taking care of you. And you say, oh, wow. You know, if I didn't, if you hadn't said that, I would have gone right over there. And then, and then I would have fallen off. I would have gotten into all kinds of danger. Wow, this is so great for me. But if you're on the other side of the line, then it becomes law because it's saying, now you listen up here. You're not supposed to be there. But in either case, what is the motivation of the sign and the line? What's the motivation of the word? Your well-being, love. So the word of God is love. And whether it's the law or the gospel, it's all about love. Jesus wants you to be better. If you're doing really good, you need a pat on the head. If you're, if you're struggling a little bit, you need a hug. If you're not doing very well and, and you're, you're being evil, then you need a stern hand and you, and you need someone to say, hey, now listen up, shape up. 
Hey, so I'm going to ruin every Lutheran sermon, almost every Lutheran sermon you've ever heard, because very often what we tend to fall into is this idea of law and gospel as parts and not the one sword that will cut both ways. And so we think it's our, the pastors sometimes think, though it's my job to look at this and decide what part of it is law and what part of it is gospel. So every Lutheran sermon is like textbook. You go to church and you hear this, blah, 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 that this person in the parable was a sinner and blah, 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 and you're sinners too and blah, blah. And you just have like the whole first half of the sermon is getting beaten over the head, reminded that you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're bad, they're bad, everybody's bad, everyone's blah, 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 blah. And then there's a moment where you hear the, but, or thankfully, or however, something right there in the middle, and that's the hinge, and then all of a sudden the whole thing is, because Jesus died, now you forgive, and that's it. It's like, you're a sinner, but Jesus died. But that's not a great way to do this, because the point of law and gospel preaching is to say, we're going to preach the word, I'm going to give the word to you, and the Spirit will deliver it. The Spirit will work. That's why a pastor can never take credit for a sermon, because guess what? I have preached sermons where one person comes up going, well, I really needed a swift kick in the rear. You really gave it to me. I don't know what you, how you knew that I was sort of slacking off, but boy, you really ripped into me. I'm going to be better. And then, this, and then the next person comes out and says, oh my goodness, that was exactly what I needed to hear. I'm so comforted by that now. Law and gospel. And, and they say, how did you know I needed that kind of comfort? Say, I didn't, <laughs> but the Spirit did. The Lord knew what you needed. Same word, but it cut two different ways, depending on what the people needed to hear. The Lord always knows what's in your heart. The Lord always knows what you need to hear. And the Lord will always divide his word and use it to where it's going to work for you. So, real quick, I'm going to pass out this handout. I think we're going to make it through what I want to make through today. And that's good because we're starting to get to the time frame where we're on the oh here you go where we're on the clock because the end is in sight. So law and gospel, the word, okay. It all depends on what side of the line you're on. All right, everybody have one of these. This is one of the most important things that you're going to learn in this entire catechumenate. I love this class because I want to rock your world in how you think about the word. The biggest thing is the word is a person, not a thing. If you walk away from catechumenate, the only thing you remember is the word is a person, not a thing. You know what? I'm going to be a happy pastor because already right there, when you come to the liturgy and you hear us say things like this is the word and you see the, the W in word that is capitalized, you realize, Oh, wait a second. There's a bigger thing happening here than story time in the pews. Okay, so let's look at this. The eternal word, that is the person of Jesus. See how that one's capitalized. The eternal word speaks. How fun. How, how does he speak? Because he has a mouth. He has a body. So the word speaks and he speaks in the flesh. He stands on the mountain and he looks at the disciples and he says, blessed are the poor. But he also speaks by the Spirit in the scriptures. So we stand. This is the word of the Lord because the Lord is actually doing the speaking. That Remember, pastor covers himself up. I don't want you to see me because I'm a distraction. 
Because if you're looking at me, you're not looking at Jesus, and I only ever want you to look at Jesus, so why don't I cover my mouth? Because that's Jesus' mouth. The sermon, the readings, that's not me, that's Jesus. Yeah, I sit in the office and I study and I type. But at the end of the day, again, the biggest reason why I can't take credit for a sermon is because I didn't really write it. And I'll tell you, every pastor has had this experience where you sit and you study all week and you're really just, I mean, this happens almost every single week. And we're, I'm preaching on the same texts every year. And you sit down and you open it up and you look at the Greek and then you look at it and you go, well, what in the hey-ho am I supposed to do with this? I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I'm just some dumb Joe Sixpack. What am I supposed to say? And then, you know, you study and you come up with some notes and you think, okay, and you're through the week while you pray the Psalms and when you come to Matins, stuff starts popping out. You think, oh, yeah, well, I can do that. And you have this whole list of notes and then you start going to write the sermon and you think, I've got a really great idea. This one's going to be great. And you type it out and then you look at what you wrote and you say, wait a minute, this didn't use any of my notes at all. And this isn't at all what I thought I was going to write. And then people come out of church and they say, wow, that was exactly what I needed to hear. Thank you so much. And you say, well, thanks be to God because I sure as heck didn't write it. <laughs> it wasn't what I wanted to say. But I'm glad it hit you where you needed to be hit. Okay? So it's not my mouth, it's Jesus' mouth. So Jesus speaks, the word speaks words. He speaks in his own very flesh and his own very flesh extends into the office of the ministry because there's hands, there's mouth, there's ears, there's feet, and that's all Jesus. And, you know, through the scriptures and the office. Okay, so he speaks what? He speaks words. The word speaks words. And every word can work two ways. This is so important. The word speaks words. And every word can work two ways. Two-edged sword. Hey, don't take pictures behind the line. Two ways. Can be, can be used in a law way or can be used in a gospel way. And whether it's going to work in a law way or a gospel way is sort of dependent on how it's received. Remember, we receive the word. So, here it is. This is your diagram, okay? So, every word works two ways. All right, here's what the word says. Here's what he's doing. If I disagree, if I rebel then the word is going to be used against me in a law way, which will accuse me, but it cannot condemn me. Why can't it condemn you? Because Jesus has already took your condemnation. So the law will always accuse you. Hey, you're not doing this right. Don't go behind the line. And it does that so you go, oh, right. I need to get back on the other side of the line. So I disagree with Jesus if I do what Jesus tells me I shouldn't do. If I say no thank you to Jesus, that's disagree. Sin is always disagreeing with Jesus, thinking that you know better than Jesus, trying to be more religious than Jesus, not being a good boy or girl, or the way my great-grandpa would say, not being a good Sunday school boy or Sunday school girl. You know, you would, yes, you know, my aunt's knuckles would date. They'd say, well, you're all seeing this girl. And my great-grandpa would say, oh, well, is she a Sunday school girl? <laughs> I love that. So, okay, so, but then, when the, word, when the word speaks words and you agree, and what does it mean to agree? Well, to say amen. Oh, amen. That's always the, the, word, the work of faith. Remember, faith does one thing and one thing only, and that is it agrees. Faith agrees. Okay? 
you have a handout that says faith does four things. <laughs> I, the, the handout doesn't say faith does four things. There, it, it says there are, there are characteristics of faith. Okay. I need to check your handout. Faith is, yeah, take, take out your red pen. Come at me, bro. <laughs> we'll take this outside if you want to, Sam. I run this class. <laughs> That's right. I'll see you. Okay. So I'll, maybe I'll speak more carefully for your sake. I don't, you know, the primary thing that faith does is it agrees. Is that, is that better? Does that make you feel better? Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to hold your pastor accountable. See, you're learning an important lesson today. Test the spirits. Never roll over. That's why I always ask you if you have questions. You can challenge me on anything you want to challenge me on. The thing that's most frightening to me is if I say something and you all just go like this. Okay. Because then either you're not getting it or you're just rolling over and letting me walk all over you. And then I think, oh no, am I, something's not, is something not going right here. Okay, so uh, the word works two ways. Uh, when, when it speaks, there's the law way when you disagree or there's the gospel way when you agree. Oh, amen, okay, great. Uh, and, and when you say amen, that's faith that, that is receiving and it's loving and it's saying thank you and it's obeying and it's living and it's doing all of the things that it's supposed to do. And that's a really good thing. And then that's the word working actually in a gospel way even though the word speaks the same words. And the gospel does what? It forgives. It sets free. So we live a gospel life, a life of faith. We want to receive Jesus. We want to love Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. We want to get closer to Jesus. We always want to live in the joy of Jesus. And the gospel gives us the freedom to be able to do that. And it's the freedom to excess, like I said before. We're the, one of the things that we're free from when we say we're free from the law, it's that we're free from the limitations of the law. The law says, here's what you've got to do. And we say, okay, well, I'll do that much. The gospel says, oh, no, there's no limit now. You know, th there's a little bit of, you should do, you know, something. You should tithe. But now we don't say you should tithe this exact amount. We say, yeah, Jesus says, you know, between this and this. But anywhere in the middle, that's all the way up to you. Whatever you want. It's all freedom to do more. And you can only do more if you love. Love is always something that is of, of excess. You see, so like if your spirit, or spirit, if your love language is gifting, which this is, I'll use myself as an example. That's what I like to do. I like to get things. I'll go and get flowers or go get a treat. If my wife is having a really bad day or she had a really bad night and she still has to go to work, then I'll go and I'll surprise her by getting her a coffee. I will get things for her. That's how, that's how I do. So if, you're, if, that's, you know, if, you're, if your love language is that you like to give gifts, then what you do in the gospel is that you have a freedom of excess. It's never what I must do. What do I have to do for my wife? What kind of card do I have to get for her? What, how, many, how many flowers do I need to get her? How many times do I have to tell her I love her? How many times do I have to give her a kiss? It's excess, it's more, it's abundance, because love's always about abundance. Love is never restrained. And when you read the parables, you see that, because the love of God is beyond anything that we can fathom. Even our unrestrained love is nothing compared to what God does. God loves recklessly, irrationally. Doesn't make any sense to us. But that's what true love is. Okay, so... 
the law accuses, but it doesn't condemn. It can't condemn you because Jesus has already been condemned for your sins and the gospel will forgive you. So this is from uh, the large catechism then. Um, the Ten Commandments, these words, contain both a wrathful threat and a friendly promise. There are two things, not only to terrify and warn, but also to attract and allure. And how richly he will reward, bless, and bestow all good things, but also if you omit all of these, you have an angry judge who, who will uh, give punishment, or you have a gracious father if you love him and say amen to him. Okay, I'll let you read the rest of that. So, here's the deal. Now what we need to do is look at, when we talk about the law, the big thing that we always think about first is what? Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. So I'm going to hand this out, and while I'm doing that, I want you to remember, every word works two ways. But I also want you to remember the word is a person, which means that the Ten Commandments are actually Jesus. When Jesus gets up in the morning and he looks in the mirror to brush his teeth, to wash his face, the reflection that he sees is the Ten Commandments. The Beatitudes are Jesus' job description. The Ten Commandments are Jesus' reflection. This is who he is. And he is the incarnation of the commandments. Okay? And these words are given to describe the character and the will of God, which is always love. God wants to love, and he wants you to know that he is love. So I'll let you kind of look at this yourself, but I want to convince you here today that the law is actually a good thing and that the Ten Commandments are, can actually be your best friend. We don't have, you, don't know, you don't have to be afraid of the Ten Commandments. Sometimes Lutherans tend to talk about the Ten Commandments in a way that makes you think they could never be good for me or they could never be my friend, but they actually are. And the first place to start is when Jesus gives the Ten Commandments, he doesn't say commandments. He says in Hebrew, davar, which is word. <gasps> Look, everything's tying together. Here are my ten words. And what, you know, the word is a double-edged sword. It cuts two ways. Every word can be used a law way or a gospel way. That includes the ten words. So I have this little thing I put together here. And if you disagree with the it is as if he says portion. You, I have lots of Bible where you can look at. I don't make anything up. It's bad to make stuff up in the church. That's when you start getting into trouble. The worst thing you can be in the church is original. <laughs> Jesus is the only original thing in the church. Everything else is just mimicry, which of course, you know, that's the highest form of flattery, imitation. So he says, I'm the Lord your God, which means, hey, you weren't a people but I wanted you to be. You were, you were less than animals. You were like dirt. But I raised you up because I want you to be something. I did that for you. You didn't do it for yourself. I did it for you. And you say, oh, that's so great. And he says, but not only that, there's more. Stick around because I want to be your friend and I want to love you. And we say, hey, all right, that's not so bad. And he says, here's how our love is going to work, okay? Here's how I want this to work. I'm going to give you 10 words. And they're such great words. Have no other gods. Just let me be the God, okay? I love you. Love me back. Let me be the God. And everything's going to be great for you. Because I'm going to do so many good things for you. Don't take my name in vain. He, my name is my full self. There's a great, I think it's Pythagoras who says this, but you are not called by your name. You are your name. 
which is why more people should know what their names mean. Because you are your name. It's not what you're called, it's who you are. That's why also you used to wait to get your name until you were baptized, because that's when you became a person. And who you are, that's your name. So listen, my name is the fullness of myself. We talked about that already. You know that. Name is the fullness. Wherever the name is, there he is in his full self. And I've given it all to you. You have power over me. Use it responsibly. Use it the way I want Excuse me, use it the way I want you to use it. Call upon me anytime. I'll give you anything I've promised to give you. Don't take, uh, uh, remember the Sabbath day? You don't need to take care of me. I don't need to eat. I don't need to drink. I don't need any of that. But you do. So, and you work so hard. So listen, take a day off. Come to my house. I'll wine and dine you. And my food's great. And it'll give you the strength to keep on plodding through the day. Because I know times are really hard down there. Just let me take care of you. Come to my house all the time. Don't you worry. Uh, honor your father and the mother and your mother. Hey, listen, I've given you some people here that are going to take care of you temporally. They're going to look after you, make sure things are going well for you on earth. Listen to them, because I gave them to you. Do what they say. Everything's going to be all right. Don't murder. Hey, listen, I redeemed you, but I also redeemed everybody else. And not only do I love you, but I love all these other people. So live in harmony with them. When you look at them, see me. Remember what I did for you. Love them because I love them. Live together well. Don't commit adultery. Hey, listen, I want you to be joined together. I want you to have the kind of love that I have. Get a wife. Have some kids. Love everybody and, and care for them. Give yourself fully. Don't hold yourself back. Love the way I love it. And you'll see how good it is for you. So receive all the love I give you and then let it overflow and give that away so that somebody else who gives it away can fill you up too. It's a glorious thing to be able to love like that. Enjoy it. Don't steal. Listen, I'm going to give you all of these things too. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you all this stuff. Be happy with what I give you. Be happy that everybody else has things too. Share. Speak as I speak. Don't bear false witness. Speak as I speak, and I only ever speak in love. So you should only ever speak in love, because, of course, we already said you should love everybody else. Love them, speak well of them, and they'll speak well of you. And then, you know, make sure that you preserve these good gifts I've given you. Integrity, honor, reputation, those things are really helpful for you, and things go so much better in life when they're being preserved, and you'll find that out. It's so good for you. And then don't covet. Everything you need, I have given you. But everything your neighbor needs, I gave him too. So just be happy that he has what he has and you have what you have. And everybody lives well. Live by my grace and enjoy your life. That's the Ten Commandments. Every word works two ways. But then you start coveting and then all of a sudden you shall not covet becomes, hey, I told you. Not, how many times do I have to tell you what he has is his, what you have is yours? Be content. And then you go, oh, that's right. And you hop back onto the other side and he says, look, be content. See, isn't stuff so much better when you're content? And you say, yeah, you know, it really is. And he, he absolves you. He says, okay, let me dust you off. It was dirty on that side. You know, see, the grass isn't always greener, but let me take care of you on this side, all right? But when the, t when, when the law accuses, when the law becomes the law and you get that swift kick in the rear, sometimes you need it. Remember this, I'll give you a quote from Madeline Langle. She's the one who wrote the, uh, the uh, oh, rats, what is it? Um, yeah, Wrinkle in Time, if you ever read those books. There's only one purpose for punishment, okay? The law punishes, 
and that is to teach a lesson. And there's only one lesson to be taught, and that is love. Perfect love banishes fear. And when we are not afraid, we know that love, which includes forgiveness. When the lesson to be learned is not love, that is not punishment. It is revenge or retribution. It's abuse. Probably the lesson of love is most terrible punishment of all and almost intolerable anguish, for it means that the sinner has to realize what has been done, has to be truly sorry to repent and to turn to God. But that's exactly what God wants. Why, do, why is the law the way it is? To remind you how much better things are when you love God and receive his love, to, to make you go, oh, that's right, may the memory of my sins be so terrible, I never wish to do it again, but I just did it again, that's right. And this is horrible, I don't want to do this again, this hurts me, I don't want to do that. I put my nose in the meat slicer, why did I do that? That was dumb. I emptied out my instrument on Tim Rockwell's folder, why did I do that? It was stupid, I stole a pear, I wasn't even hungry, why did I do that? Let me hop back to the other side. Oh my goodness, it's such a relief to be here. Not rebelling against God's love, but receiving God's love, everything's so much better. And the only reason why the law punishes is because punishment is love. Because I want you to be better. And I want you to know what is good and what is not good, and I want you to live in love, okay? Any punishment that is not motivated by love is abuse. And then that's, you know, that's not punishment, it's abuse. Punishment is love. Remember that, kids, punishment is love. When you get grounded or when you get spanked, that's love. The parents only do it because they love you. Right? Okay. So, at their core, this is the last thing, at their core, the meaning of the Ten Commandments is this. God says, hey, listen, love deeply. Obey thoroughly. Grow and mature in the gifts that I've given you. And that's that. Love, obey, grow. Okay? And of course, touch good, not evil. So the word cuts two ways. When you touch evil, bad things happen. I told you not to do that. Now let's take care of it. When you don't touch evil, but you touch good, see, look how much better things are. Law and Gospel. All right, any question about Law and Gospel? I do have a question about this. Like in midweek, uh, when I'm doing the prayers. Yes. Uh, I think I asked you about the coding. Yes. Separated into two. Well, on the sheet, it's it's not the same order. Like there's an extra thing in the beginning. Right. Right. So the ordering of the commandments is a little different. I I did that on purpose on the sheet to combine coveting so that I could talk about coveting as a whole, and I incorporated all of the differences between coveting house versus coveting. So the, so the big difference is coveting what you, the possessions are that your neighbor has, his, his goods, his livelihood, or coveting the, the relationships, the people, the life that he lives. And, and that's the difference. But all of that is incorporated there. And I want to talk about the introduction to the commandments, which is, I am the Lord your God, because that's also very, a very important part. So, so I did combine 9 and 10, but I also did not split 1 and 2, you'll notice, I, I still have those ones set out for that yeah, kind of reason. Order, uh, yeah. 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 I mean, I could have divided them, I, I guess, and had the same little explanation. It just, this is a little more streamlined. Yeah. Any other questions about the law, the word, the gospel? 
Okay, so if, if we're on our roadmap, this is the readings. And then next week, we're going to talk about the creed and the sermons. All right, and that's really fun. The, talking about the creed is great. All right. 282, let's pray. Holy God, holy and most gracious Father, have mercy and hear us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord. And grant us your salvation. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. And let your saints shout for joy. Lord, keep this nation under your care. And guide us in the way of justice and truth. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. And the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Gracious Lord Jesus, our Lord and our God, at this hour you bore our sins in your own body on the tree, so that we, being dead to sin, might live unto righteousness. Have mercy upon us now and at the hour of our death, and grant to us, your servants, with all others who devoutly remember your blessed passion, a holy and peaceful life in this world, and through your grace, eternal glory in the life to come, where, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, you live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Be to God. The Lord bless us, defend us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks everybody. Hey, by the way, if you really want to do me a big favor because you love me so much, take some cinnamon roll home be because... We're, I, I don't want to eat sweet things during Lent, and the best way to avoid temptation is to not be in the place where there is a temptation. And if I bring that big giant thing home, I'm going to be eating the big giant thing. So 
be good Christian brothers and sisters to me and just take it away from me, okay? Take it away, eat it in the car, take it home, eat it for breakfast tomorrow, something. But we don't, I don't need to bring home a big giant thing. <laughs>